0: Good morning, Stevens Creek Church. Welcome, Grovetown. Welcome, South Campus. You guys feeling good today? It's good to be in God's house. It's good to see you guys. For those at uh, Grovetown and South Campus uh, that are just joining us, just a, a moment ago, Pastor Marty said some very, very kind things about me. I just want to publicly say I'm so thankful for, for the doors God's open, for Ashley and I to go to different churches, but I want the world to know that there is no church i would more proud to call my church home than Stevens Creek Church, and there's literally no one else on earth I'd rather call my pastors than Dr. Marty and Patty Baker right here. They're the real deal, and we love you guys. And I'm, just, I'm excited to be here at the creek today. Nowhere else I'd rather be. We're wrapping up our series, Vanishing Values. Before we dive into today's message, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had an area of your life where you felt like you had consistently blown it? You'd consistently fail. Maybe it's in your relationships or your finances or your health or, or your career, but there's some part of your life where you're like, I just keep messing up in this area. I guess that's just who I am. I guess I'm just a mess up in this area. I've had different areas in my life like that. Some of them big, some of them small, some of them serious, some of them funny. One of those areas where I had a long losing streak, and this might sound silly, but stick with me, was on having dogs, right? And here's what happened. When I was a kid... I had a dog, her name was Popcorn, and she was awesome, and I thought, I'm great with dogs. This is just part of who I am. I'm great with dogs. I'm going to have dogs all my life. I'm going to be that guy at the dog park with dogs running around me doing cool tricks, and I just thought that's what life was going to be when I was a child. But as I became a young man, I began a long losing streak with dogs that really kind of gave me a complex, like maybe, maybe I'm not meant to be around dogs. Here's how it started. So about 20 years ago, before we even had children, Ashley and I were house-sitting for my parents who were out of the country, and my whole job was to watch mom's little toy poodle, Peanut. Now, mom loved Peanut. Nobody else did. This dog loved my mom, but was mean to everybody else, right? But because I love mom, I'm like, yeah, I'll watch the dog, no problem, no problem. You let me stay in your house, and I'll take care of your dog, no problem. Well, Peanut uh, had, had black fur, which made her difficult to see. My parents lived out in the country where it was really dark. And one night I was driving home, whipped into the driveway. I had no idea that Peanut was outside. And I ran over Peanut. I know, it's traumatic. So, I, it was, she was so small, I didn't even realize I'd done it until we were looking for her later. I know, it gets worse. I'm a terrible person. I know you're like, why did I come to church today? This is a traumatic opening <laughs> of a sermon. So this is like therapy for me, though. You guys are helping. So I had to call my parents overseas. I'm like, hey, Dad, how's it going? First thing he says, oh, it's good. How's Peanut? Yeah, you know about that. She's, you know, she's so small, isn't she? Just <laughs> delicate. I would call her a delicate creature. Uh, well, about Peanut, I was driving home and... Um, you know, it was dark. She's, you know, it's hard to see. Um, I love you, Dad. If I told you, I'd just love you. You're a great father. Uh, well, anyway, I pulled into the driveway quickly. Uh, I don't believe I was speeding, though, but, you know, quickly. And Peanut was there, and um, I ran over Peanut. Is, is she okay? Is she okay? Um, well, she's, she's been better uh she didn't make it dad she, she didn't make it so she's dead uh yes I, I feel terrible I feel sick to my stomach yes Peanut's dead mom's like here's what's kind of on the other line going on what's happening what's wrong dad looked at her and said your dog's dead <laughs> and she just starts like weeping and then he's like I gotta go hung up I felt terrible my brother's if you don't have brothers to encourage you in your life, you need some brothers like mine. My brothers thought I needed a nickname out of all this. So this happened near Christmas. The dog's name was Peanut. So they called me the Nutcracker for <laughs> ever, for years. Like I was in their phone as the Nutcracker. Like that's, you know, they would like send me gifts of like the people doing the Nutcracker dance and they would like, tell their friends, like, if you need to get rid of a dog, call my brother. He'll make it look like an accident. You know, like I was like this mafia hitman for dogs. Like it was, it was bad. And it gave me a complex. But then I thought, you know what, silly. It was one accident, one terrible mistake. I love dogs, dogs love me. So Ashley and I get our first dog, this Basset hound named Maggie May. And she was so sweet and fun and we loved her and she was great. But then when our first son was born, Cooper, Maggie, who was used to being spoiled, didn't know how to react to somebody else getting all the attention. And so she went nuts with a baby in the house and she was peeing everywhere and she was barking at the baby all the time. And we're like, we've either got to get rid of the baby or the dog. And, and we weren't sure which one, you know, we had to talk, talk it through, but we finally landed on the dog and we gave her to a new home. And I thought, I'm just having a losing streak with dogs. Maybe we just, maybe I'm not a dog person. Maybe dogs don't like me. But then some friends later on knew we were looking for a dog. We had a couple of young kids at this point and they gave us this cute little pug named Molly and she was precious within like the second day we had her, I had her in the backyard and I had not made sure that there weren't any little holes in the fence because she was little, but apparently there was a hole in the fence and she ran away. And my kids were traumatized. So I'm like, we're going to find her. And so we looked everywhere. We went door to door. We handed out flyers and we found Molly and it was great. And I'm like, I am a dog person. This is great. But then over the coming weeks, she was just barking at the kids all the time and acting weird. And I'm like, this isn't working. And I had to Give, give Molly back to the folks who'd given her to us, and now I'm really getting a complex. We're like, we're gonna try one more time. We're gonna go all out. We're going to a breeder, getting a golden retriever. No one has ever had a bad experience with the golden retriever. They are the world's best dog. So we go, we save up our money, we, we pick out the, the pick of the litter, this little sweet little puppy, and bring her home and name her Sugar Bear, and she's so sweet. We got the world's most aggressive golden retriever. It was like <laughs> Cujo had entered into the body of this sweet little bundle of fur and she was just like violent like just angry and when she wasn't barking and going nuts she was always humping someone's leg all the time <laughs> and I finally said I'm not living like this I feel like I'm being held hostage in my home so I called the breeder and he's like "Well, yeah, there, we don't really have refunds I'm like I don't care you can have the money I'm bringing you this dog, you know? And I, I brought her the dog and, and, and the, the cage and everything else, and I'm like, this is it, I'm a terrible person, dogs don't like me, I, you know, who am I, who am I? I'm not a dog person, I just keep failing in this area, and I just resolved that that's who I'm gonna be, a failure with dogs. But then years later, by God's grace, one day Ashley called me and she said, can we FaceTime, and we were, she FaceTimed me, and they were at the Humane Society, this is when we were living in Texas, and she goes, I know it's crazy that we're here and we haven't had good luck with dogs, but I just felt like maybe coming in today and, and the kids are here and we found this little dog. And I'm like, I don't want a little dog. A little dog's just like a cat that barks. Like, who wants a little dog? <laughs> but she's like, but this dog's so sweet. It's, it's half Chihuahua. And I'm like, Chihuahua? They're, they're the most annoying of the little dogs. It's half Chihuahua, it's half Dachshund. So it's, a, it's like a Chihuahua wiener dog. They call it a Chowini. And I'm like, that just sounds weird, you know? And but she goes, But the kid, but the kids, she's so sweet, and the kids love her, and and they they send me a picture, and it's like my Chandler, our third son, just looking at the FaceTime, just petting her, like, Father, I'll never forgive you if you don't bring this dog home. And I'm like, Oh man, it's gonna be another, another failure. So we bring her home, and let me tell you, this dog loves me like I have never been loved. <laughs> I'm going show you a picture. This is me and Chi Chi. Uh, Yes, she looks like a rodent, I don't care. She's precious. She loves me and I love her, and I'm a dog person. I did it, all right? So, you don't have to clap for that. It's like, you really don't. Why do I tell that story? I think in more serious parts of our lives than, than pets, some of us get this complex, like, you know, I've had this string of failures in my relationships. I've had this string of failures in my career. Maybe I'm just a failure in this area. Maybe that's who I am. Maybe God doesn't have a plan for me. This. Maybe I should just stay away from people or, because I, I, I'm always messing up. But I've got good news for you. I've got hope for you that as long as you have a pulse, God still has a plan and he can redeem that area of brokenness in your life and he can bring new life to it and you can finish strong. And that's the vanishing value we're talking about today is finishing strong, even in a part of your life maybe where you've blown it up to this point, where that's not part of your identity, that's just part of your testimony that God can use for his glory when you commit that part of your life to him and he can bring new life to it. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today. And we're gonna talk about it through the lens of of one fascinating person in scripture who blew it over and over again for most of his life, but because he finished strong, that turnaround moment at the end changed everything. So the whole point of this series, if you're filling in the blanks, kind of taking notes as we go, has been this. God is calling us to uphold his timeless values in a world that is rapidly abandoning them. And so each week we've looked at one vanishing value. The first week it was honor, the vanishing value of honor. The second week it was including the forgotten, just widening our circle and and inviting and including people the way Jesus calls us to. Uh, Last week was Sexy Sunday, and we talked about the vanishing value of sexual purity and what God's plan for the gift of sex really looks like. And today, as we finish out the series, it seemed appropriate to talk about the vanishing value of finishing strong in a world that that quits short and quits as soon as something gets difficult and writes people off so quickly. What does it look like for us to finish strong? Uh, A verse we've come back to through this whole series is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Which says, don't let the world change the way that you think, but let God transform you into a new person by renewing your mind. Because then you'll be able to know and do what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. If you want to know God's will for your life, if you want to do God's will for your life, you have to let God and God's word shape your thinking. Instead of letting this world's broken value system shape your thinking. So the guy that we're going to look at today, his name was Samson. And he was one of the first characters I learned about in Sunday school as a little kid. And I was fascinated by him because he was like a real life superhero. God gave Samson supernatural strength to be a warrior to be able to deliver the people of Israel, his people who had been oppressed and enslaved by a a nation called the Philistines. And Samson was just this mighty guy. But we're gonna see that strength alone isn't enough if you don't have strength of character. In our house, we've got a lot of superhero costumes. A few weeks ago, I showed you our youngest son, Chad. I'm always wearing a superhero costume. His name means warrior, and he is just living up to that. Like, he wants to be a superhero. In fact, a few years ago, I snapped a picture that just kind of captures his personality. Here's the picture. He, all the time, <laughs> is ready for battle. So be afraid, villains. He's coming. Now, he looks, and he is. He's, he's big, and he's strong. But if you put him next to Arnold Schwarzenegger, right, it would seem really small. Because who you're standing next to, what the comparison is, really makes all the difference. So next to Arnold, Chatham would seem tiny because Arnold is huge, right? There's like no one bigger than Arnold. And you might think that Arnold is as big and strong as it gets. But I found a picture that was really funny to me because Arnold had some really big friends named Wilt Chamberlain and Andre the Giant who came by the scene of Conan the Barbarian years ago to take a picture next to Arnold. And Arnold doesn't look so big in this picture. Those guys are seven foot four, and Anna looks pretty tiny. You see, whoever you're standing next to determines really how big you really are. Samson was a superhero kind of guy. He was an Arnold kind of guy, supernatural strength. But when he's standing next to God, like all of us are, we're also small. But when we take God out of the equation then we get a skewed perspective of our own strength and our own ability, and that's when pride really sets in, and we think, I'm invincible. I don't need anybody. I don't even need God. And Samson, sadly, got into that mindset, and it it put him on a path of pride that caused a lot of destruction and a lot of pain, a lot of disappointment, a lot of failure. But then ultimately, again, by finishing strong, the story turned around. The first thing we can learn about Samson's life, though, is, is this, and I've kind of alluded to this already. No amount of physical strength can ever be a substitute for strength of character. Man looks at the outer appearance, the Bible says, the Lord looks at the heart. It's fine to have muscles, but really real strength comes from our strength of character, because every physical attribute you have is temporary. Beauty fades, strength fades, all of it, but but character and wisdom and faith, those those things can live on eternally as we put our hope in Jesus Christ. And so we live in a world that gets fixated on the superficial. When God says, no, I need you to focus on the heart. I need you to focus on what really matters. And whatever strength you have, that temporary strength, whether it's financial strength or physical strength or intellectual strength, use that to help other people because that's what it's for. The gifts God gives us is never just for our own sake. It's always to be used to bless others. That's why Samson was given strength. It wasn't just for him. It was to help his people find freedom and deliverance from their oppressors. But he used it in a selfish way. We're going to look at his story. There's a lot we can learn from his story. If you have your Bible, you can look, look in the book of Judges. If you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry. We'll have all this on the screens. During the book of Judges was a period in Israel's history that was a fascinating time. It was kind of anarchy and chaos. There wasn't a king in Israel at this time. And that void of leadership created a lot of just messes. And it created vulnerability for the enemies of Israel to be able to rule them and conquer them and subdue them. And that void of leadership also created some moral bankruptcy. The the book of Judges over and over says, in those days there was no king and the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And I think, man, that's also a commentary on what's happening in our world too. You look around and what you see is everybody just doing whatever seems right in their own eyes. Because we feel like, I don't have to answer to anybody else. If it feels right to me, I'm going to do it because that is my truth and nobody can challenge my truth. And if it feels good, I'm going to do it and... That's the way it's gonna be, and it's creating chaos, and it's creating a mess, and we're allowing the broken value system of this world to shape our values instead of allowing God's timeless truth to shape our values. So that's the backdrop. Now let's look at the story of Samson, and it's a fascinating one, beginning in Judges chapter 13. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite. Dedicated to God from the womb, he will take a lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So before Samson was even born, There's this supernatural encounter where we see God had a plan for him. And you think, well, yeah, God maybe had a plan for him. He's a character in the Bible, but God didn't have a plan for me. One of the greatest truths in scripture is this truth. God had a plan for your life before you were even born. Bible says before God knit you together in your mother's womb, he already knew you. He already loved you. He already had a plan for you. Your parents might've told you you were an accident. You were not an accident. God knew you were coming. He loved you already, and he had a plan for you. And you think, but I've blown the plan for me. I've messed up too many times. As long as you have a pulse, God still has a plan. And those mistakes that you've made, God can redeem to be part of your testimony, to give hope to others who are struggling in those same areas of of failure. And you, you can finish strong. So Samson, he grew. He grew in his strength. He was a Nazarite, set apart from God, what does that mean? In the Old Testament, the, the covenant before Jesus came, the covenant of the law, there, was, there were certain vows people could take to live in, in kind of distinct ways under the unique law system that they had. And the Nazarite vow was a voluntary vow that a person could make to live their life in a, in a unique fashion, separated and set apart for the work of God. And the Nazarite vow included three peculiar aspects, three things that you were never to do. Number one, you could never cut your hair. Why? I don't know. But that was part of the Nazarite vow. Number two, you could never touch anything that was dead. Couldn't touch anything dead. It was was considered unclean and, and you couldn't do it. Number three, you could not drink or eat anything that grew on a vine like grapes, grape juice, or anything that was fermented, any alcoholic beverage. You, you couldn't do those three things. Those three things seemingly have nothing to do with one another, but it represented your hair, your head, you know, you're dedicating your head to God, something you don't touch, your hands, you're dedicating your hands to God. And the heart and stomach in the, in the old code was considered kind of one unit by something you're not eating, you're drinking, you're saying, I'm also committing my heart to God. So head, heart, hands, it was a very unique vow that people would live by. Not many people, it wasn't something we were all called to live by, but certain people would take that vow and they would live in that unique way as, as a way of someone saying, I'm I'm trying to, to live this life that's set apart. Now, under the new code with Jesus Christ, that Old Testament law and code failed away. So there's no Nazarite in the New Testament. except the last of the Nazarites was John the Baptist just before Jesus brought the new covenant. And John the Baptist and Samson were two of the only three people that from birth God called to live this way. Only three people in the Bible that God called to live by the Nazarite vow. First was Samuel the prophet. Second was Samson. And the third was John the baptizer. And then that was it. Now, John and Samuel actually upheld, as far as we know, all aspects of the Nazarite vow. They didn't touch the dead stuff. They didn't eat from the vine. They didn't drink alcohol. They didn't cut their hair. But Samson, he did whatever he wanted. He completely disregarded it. It's like, yeah, God gave me this special calling, but I didn't pick that. I don't want to live that way. And so we're going to see that he very flippantly disregarded the way that God had called him to live. And he also very flippantly misused the gift of strength that God had given him. And fast forwarding his story a little bit, now he's a young man and we see he's entitled, he's spoiled, he's bratty, he's vain. You know, you just picture him like just flexing in front of in front of the beer mirror like all day long. You know, he's he's a he's a womanizer. I mean, at least at least once in scripture, you know, he's he's interrupted while he's with a prostitute. And the way the, the story is is told, it's almost like reading between the lines something that that he probably did often and didn't think a thing about. His first marriage only lasted a couple of days. And then he felt insulted. You know, there's a lot of detail in here because Samson takes up a lot of the book of Judges. So I'm trying to give you some of the high points. He feels insulted because he'd married this Philistine woman. He'd married one of of the so-called enemy. And then he gets offended by kind of how this whole thing goes down. And so then he picks a fight with like her whole side of the family wedding party and, and wants to eradicate them. Again, not as a way to, to free his own people, which is what his strength was for, but as a way just to flex his own pride and say, nobody messes with me. And so we're gonna pick up the story. Judges chapter 15, verse 14. And he's tied up at this point, but he's about to fight these guys. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax. The bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a 1,000 men. 1,000, that gave him supernatural strength. And then Samson said, basically Samson wrote a gangster rap song about himself. <laughs> With a donkey's jawbone, I've made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I've killed a 1,000 men. Then he finished speaking, dropped the mic, or in this case, the jawbone. the place is called Jawbone Hill. I mean, that's a pretty savage story. I mean, that's like hardcore. But Samson, at this point in the story, he's already over and over broken the first two aspects of the Nazarite vow, right? We see him throw himself a bachelor party, this rager where he's, he's, he's obviously drinking and you get the impression that this was like a regular part of his life. He eats and drinks whatever he wants. And of all the ways that he could have killed all these guys, he chose something, a tool that would be an insult to them, just a jawbone of a donkey because... You're just saying like, look, I could beat you guys with anything, but what do you have to touch to get a jawbone? You gotta touch something that's dead. And this is something he did over and over. Like he, he, there was a story where there was this dead lion that he was, he was messing with. And like, he just completely disregarded the things that God had called him to do because he felt like he was invincible. I'm the man, I'm a superhero. I'm the strongest guy around. I mean, I don't need to listen. Rules are for other people. Rules are for, God's, that's for other people. I don't need anything. I think he even believed his strength was his own, like not even from God. I think he just thought, nobody can take this from me. And that pride, pride led him to a place where he thought he could do whatever he wanted. He was gonna do things his way. You know, I once heard a preacher say that old Frank Sinatra song, My Way, is probably the theme song in hell. Like you just get down there, everybody's singing, well, I did it my way, I did it my way. And God has called us to do it his way. He's called us to do it his way. And Samson lost sight of that. Pride got a hold of him. Here, if you're filling in the blanks, here's one. Pride is a sin, but I believe pride's not just a sin, that it's actually the soil where all other sin takes root. Because pride is a mindset that says, I don't have to listen to anybody. I can do things my own way. I don't even have to listen to God. It's my way or no way. And pride is toxic to relationships. Pride will convince you that the reason why every relationship in your life is broken is because all of those other people were wrong. It never causes you to look in the mirror and say, What have I done to cause this? It makes you feel like a martyr. You're either the hero or the victim in every story. You're never the bad guy. Because pride skews our thinking. We don't need a savior because I never mess up, I never sin. Pride is so toxic, it's so wrong. And God will go to great lengths to get us to open up our ears to hear the truth he wants to speak to us. He'll even sometimes bring painful discipline into our lives to break us of that toxic pattern of pride so that we can do all that God's called us to do. You know, I've, I've been in thousands of church services over my life from the time I was a baby, and, and most of them I don't remember. Most of them I don't remember. Remember? In the, way, in the same way that like most meals I've eaten in life, I don't remember, and yet even the meals that I don't remember help sustain me and keep me alive. A lot of the sermons and things through the years, I don't remember, but I know that they were feeding my soul. But there were a few things that stood out that just for whatever reason stuck in my head, even from being really little. And I remember one random story in children's ministry when I was probably seven years old that just stuck in my head and never went away. And I'm gonna tell you this story and maybe it'll stick with you. And, and here was the story. The, the, the guy got up and teach a lesson and he said, there was this great piano player, one of the world's best piano players. And he was coming to town to give a concert. Well, in this same town, there was a man who loved piano music and he loved, he loved this particular piano player and he wanted to go hear him in concert. But the concert was taking place at a church. And after the concert, there was gonna be a preacher get up and give a sermon. And this man who was a fan of piano music hated going to church. He didn't wanna hear anything from God. He didn't want to do that part, but he wanted to listen to the music so much, he made himself a compromise. He said, I'll go to the church and I'll listen to the piano music and I'll enjoy it. But as soon as that guy gets up to start talking, I'm gonna cover my ears and just hold my hands over my ears and not listen to a thing. So he goes to church and he listens to the music and the piano music is great and it's amazing. But then the preacher gets up to start preaching. And just as he planned, he closed his ears so tight that he didn't have to listen to any of it. But while he was holding his ears closed, a fly came and landed right on his nose. And he thought, well, that's that's annoying. And so he swatted the fly away. And as he opened up one of his ears to swat that fly away, he heard the preacher say in one Bible verse that caused him to keep listening. And that one Bible verse was this, he who has ears let him hear. And he thought, oh, that's interesting. I have ears. And he removed his other hand and he started listening to what it is God wanted him to hear, to the good news of the gospel, the, the hope of the world, the message that God loved him and had a plan for his life. And that little story about going through life, covering up our ears and missing out on what God's trying to say to us, for whatever reason, of all the little stories that I've heard, it's just one that stuck with me. And I thought, I don't want to be like that guy. That's just covering my ears. I've got ears, I wanna hear, I wanna hear what God's saying. And if you're here today, you're watching today, and if there's some part of your life where you've closed up your ears and said, God, I I don't want you to talk to me about the way that I'm living this part of my life. I'll give you all this other stuff, but don't talk to me about what I should do with my money. That's mine. Or don't talk to me what I should do with my relationships. that's, That's mine. Open up your ears and God, speak to me. You've got a better way. I wanna commit this into your hands. And God was gonna go to great lengths to open up Samson's ears, dramatic lengths, painful lengths, because God loves us so much. He'll go to great lengths to discipline us because he loves us. But Samson's story was about to get worse before it gets better, because his prideful, womanizing ways was gonna lead him to somebody who was just as vain and shallow as he was, a lady named Delilah. Delilah. Here's what happened with Delilah. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. You can't even say Delilah without being like, Delilah, you know. (laughs) The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, sweetie, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. This is a toxic relationship, guys. These people should have been here last week to listen to Sexy Sunday, that God has a plan for your sex life. And when that gets misused, it totally messes with our judgment. Samson was all into the physical. He wasn't looking at the heart, and neither was she. They were two superficial people who were living for themselves, who were using each other, and that's the worst kind of relationship. She didn't care about Samson. Here she's offered money and she's like, I'll just get some other hot dude and have money. So yeah, this is a win-win. And so she's trying to tell, get Samson to reveal the secret of his strength so he can be conquered and captured and the Philistines can finally be rid of this guy who's, who's been beaten up on them. And so then they can really subdue and, and, and enslave the Israelite people. And she's like, tell me what your secret is. And he just starts messing with her. He's like, all right, I'll tell you. You know, you, you tie me up with these certain kind of ropes and, and that's it, like if you tie me up with these certain kind of ropes, then my strength is gone. And so he goes to sleep and he wakes up, tied up in these certain kind of ropes. You know for certain your woman is trying to kill you. Like, you know for certain. And he still doesn't break up. Like he gets up, he breaks through the ropes and then they're like, oh Samson, they're coming for you. And he beats up all the guys. And then this is, this is audacity, this is next level. Delilah gets mad at Samson for lying to her. I'm not making this up. This is a messed up relationship. She's like, I can't believe you would lie to me. I'm like, how hot was this woman that he was putting up with someone actively trying to kill him? This is a Dateline episode in progress. And he's like, well, you know, but she's got really pretty eyes. And I don't know. I see the good in her. She is trying to kill you, dude. So she keeps asking him, well, tell me what it is for real. And he keeps making up stories, right? Instead of just breaking up like a normal person would do, he sticks around because he thinks he's invincible. He's like, well, if you do this. And then, and then she does that to him. And the guys come in and he breaks free and beats him up. And then she keeps nagging him. The Bible just paints this picture of, she just keeps nagging him until he finally, like an idiot, tells her the truth knowing that she's going to try to use it against him. He said, okay, here's the deal. I'm with this thing called a Nazarite, which means I've got to live by this certain code. And part of the code is I can't cut my hair, which is why my hair is so long and beautiful. But if it gets cut, my strength is gone. Now, you see, he told her that, but I don't think Samson really believed his strength would go because he'd already, he'd already disregarded every rule God had ever given him. He had broken every rule, not only of the Nazarite code, but of the Bible. He had just lived his own way and he was still just as strong as ever. So he really thought, nothing can take my strength. Nothing. What's a haircut gonna do? But he fell asleep. She broke out those shears. Mm. And he woke up. She goes, so Samson, they're here to get you. And he stood up. And for the first time in his life, His strength failed him. He was weak. It wasn't there. He didn't think that was possible. And those guys came in and they bound him and he probably thought they were gonna kill him right then, but oh no, they had bigger plans for Samson. They wanted to make a mockery of him for as long as they could. So they weren't gonna kill him when they could put him on display and parade him around and show the world that they had conquered the so-called hero. But just to make sure, just to make sure that he knew his place, and he knew that he was now going to be theirs. God allowed them to dramatically open up Samson's ears. And his ears were open because his eyes were taken. And in one of the most graphic, graphically violent scenes in the Bible, the Bible doesn't hold back in describing what happened. His eyes were forcibly removed. And he was blinded. And this man that had one time had great strength and so much promise, so much potential, he's now alone. Nobody in his life who cared about him because he had chased them all off. He'd never had a healthy relationship. He had used every person in his life. The people that liked him just for his strength, they were gone because he didn't have any left. And now he was enslaved by his enemies. But in those years of grinding grain, chained completely humiliated, blind. For the first time in his life, his ears were open and his heart was open to really hear the tender voice of God. And he began to listen. He began to humble himself. He began to live the way that he should have lived all along. He began to to have deep regret for the way he had misused his gift and misused people. And I think in his own mind, in his own heart, he was praying and waiting for just one chance, one chance to finish strong, one chance to do something right. Not in a way that would undo all the wrong he had done, but in a way that God could still redeem and still help him live out the destiny that he had been born to do. And Samson got his chance. When he was brought out as a spectacle onto a huge stage in a huge ancient Colosseum, for all the Philistines at one of their festivals to be able to laugh at him and mock him, Samson's opportunity came. The Bible says this, but what, one principle first, and this is about Delilah. Choose relationships based on good character, not just good chemistry. That's good advice, guys. It's nice to be attracted to somebody, but if they don't have the character underneath, it's gonna be toxic. So Samson now, having disregarded all these principles, found himself... Chained and on display. The Bible says, while they were in high spirits, which means they were just in party mode and ready to make fun of Samson, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of prison and he performed for them. While they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof, There were 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to God as he was putting his hands on the pillars, these hands that had once been so mighty and now their strength was gone. But he knew that if God would give him the strength, he could bring this whole building down. He could destroy all of the leaders of the Philistines and he could do what he was born to do, which was bring freedom to his people. And Samson prayed this prayer, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please God, strengthen me just once more and with a heart full of faith a humble heart for the first time in his life he prayed this honest prayer and then his final words were let me die with the philistines and he pushed with all his might and god returned that supernatural strength to him and those pillars came down the building collapsed and the philistines the philistines the enemies of israel the oppressors the enslavers of israel They were destroyed. And he had done what he was born to do. And he had finally done it with the right heart. And you fast forward to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. There's a book, there's a a, a chapter called Hebrews 11. We call it the Hall of Faith, where it just outlines all these great heroes of the faith and some of the stuff they did. It's, you know, Moses and, and it's all these guys who did so many good things. And then Samson's name is listed among these heroes of the faith. A guy that blew it his whole life. But in one moment of humble faith, he finished strong. And guys, that is hope for all of us who feel like we've blown it. That God's not done with your story. That you can start today and you can't undo the past, but you can redeem it because God, God makes a way through his grace. Jesus already paid the price on the cross to forgive you for it. So you don't have to live in shame, but you also don't have to live stuck in that place of darkness. You can walk a new path. God has a great plan for you. Even if you have made many mistakes in the past, guys, it's not too late to finish strong. That chapter in Hebrews that mentions Samson ends this way. These were all commended for their faith. All these heroes were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. God's saying all these heroes of the faith, all these men and women who did great things and even the ones who blew it in big ways, but then God still redeemed their stories, their story isn't finished because God is still writing a story and we're now part of it. We're living out our part of this story that's gonna resonate for eternity. You have a plan in God's story that no one else can live out. God has a destiny for your life. And even if you feel like you have, you've closed your ears and missed it up to this point, today can be the day, Grovetown. Today can be the day, South Campus. Today can be the day that you say, Lord, with the time I have left, I wanna finish strong. I'm committing it all to you and he will meet you right where you are and he will change your story. So let's stand together as we prepare to close in prayer. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you that you're not finished with us. Even when we give up on ourselves, God, you don't give up on us. For those of us here who have blown it in big ways, and I know I sure have, God, I thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for new beginnings. I pray for anyone here Anyone watching online that hasn't made the greatest decision of their life, God, to put their life in your hands and receive your salvation, let today be the day they say, Jesus, save me. I've lived my own way and it hasn't worked. And I'm sorry, I wanna live for you. Forgive me of my sins. I know you already paid the price for them on the cross. I receive your grace. I receive the freedom you give. Adopt me into your family. Make me the person I was meant to be. And with all the time I have left, God, let me live life to the fullest for your glory. For all of us, Lord, even if we prayed a prayer like that years ago, but we've gotten off track, we've blown it, we feel like we've messed up, let today be the day that we recommit and say, God, I wanna finish strong. In that part of my life, I haven't fully surrendered to you. I surrender to you today. I commit to you my past, my present, and my future. Lord, let my life be for your glory, and let it touch generations to come behind me. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for choosing us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand today for his grace, for the new beginnings he provides. Friends, thank you for being here. Thank you for the hundreds of children that you sponsored on the Christmas tree out there. I love being part of such a generous church. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.